Hi everyone, this is episode three of season four, and today I have Matt Ran back with me. Hi Matt. Hi Catherine, Lo- lovely to be back. It's uh, as I've said earlier, it's uh, it seemed a long time since we uh, we had a chat, so it's it's lovely to talk to you again. It is. It has been a long time, two months actually. So yeah, we're gonna have a, a good natter, aren't we? So. <laughs> Um, So today we're going to be talking about accessing insurance for people that are transgender and this is the Practical Protection Podcast. So before we really deep deep dive into things, Matt, you have just come back off holiday. I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people who are very, very jealous listening to this that uh, you've come back off holiday. But we do have a little bit of a reprieve in the fact that we've just had the most gorgeous weather over the weekend in the UK. So it was um, it was almost like I was, I was tempted to put like pool sounds on in the background and like children, sound of children jumping in with lilos and things and just close my eyes. Um, but how was it? Did you have a good time? We had a lovely time, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, a, a slight hiccup to start when the uh, the airport that we were flying to was closed down because of high winds. Um, difficult place to land, apparently, even for the professionals. So, uh, and, and those those of you out there who uh, put those two together, you may know where I have been because apparently it's quite famous for things like that. However, it had a lo- so so seven days was down to six, but had a, had lovely weather, very stable, but of course came back to the UK and it's hotter here than it was on a small island in the North Atlantic. So uh, it's, uh, it, it's, it's kind of great to be back. But it was also very, it, it was an eye-opener. First time we've been away um, since all the um, COVID guidelines came in and... Uh, I, I have to say, we were absolutely delighted. We, we whizzed through Funchal, at, now I've gone told you now, haven't I? Yeah. Funchal, Madeira. <laughs> I was going to say, I think it's more famous for the cake. I was going to say, I wasn't going to be going for the high winds. I was thinking cake. As soon as I hear we're, Madeira, we're cake. cake. And I, 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 was, <laughs> I was thinking port and sherry. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect combination. I'll bring the cake. You bring... <laughs> exactly. Very, very slick through, um, through Funchal Airport and also very slick through Manchester Airport. Um, on the way back, there were n- no holdups. Tremendous. So uh, okay. yeah, a, a good good time was uh, was had by all. We're just awaiting for our uh, PCR test now. Hopefully to come back negative. That's the one that you have to take on day two on arrival. Yeah. Um, from a green country certainly, um, and now amber as well, I think. Um, yeah. But yeah, it was very good and um, very relaxed and uh, looking forward to um, to our chat, to say the least. Absolutely. Well, I'm, I'm really glad that you've had. Thank you for asking. No, no, I'm glad you've had a good holiday. It's just I'm kind of living holidays through the people at the moment because um, I don't particularly enjoy airports at the best of times or airplanes. So the thought of doing all of this kind of um, COVID stuff, it just it wouldn't be a holiday for me. I'd, I think I would be um, traumatized from the airport alone and just not enjoy the holiday. So um, so I'm, just, I'm waiting. I'm just I'm happily waiting, waiting and watching to just until things get a little bit more settled. And then eventually I'll probably just not get in a camper van and I'll just go that way. That'll probably be the best way to do it. That's not such a bad thing, especially with three little ones, I'm telling you. <laughs> I know. And then and obviously the puppy as well. Oh, he could no, come as well. Oh, he's doing so, so well. We've had him just over four weeks now, but it's like that thing of just feeling like he's been with us forever. But he's he's incredibly gorgeous. He's a little cockapoo. Oh. So anybody who knows the cockapoo breeds, they are like little shadows. So he's just constantly attached to me. He's quite happy 
you know he's happy he's happy with other people but if he knows I'm around and then he can't get to me like at some point I may get whimpering at the door um because he knows that he can't get to me oh. but it's very much that thing if you know if you go to the bathroom you open the door he's right there just yeah. like hi yeah. <laughs> I know you said you're gonna be one minute and I know you've spoken to me the entire time you've been in there but still there was a door between us I'm not happy <laughs> but um okay let's get on to the to the main bits of things today yeah, so sure. But not long since having Pride Month. So I think it's really important. We both said this. It was really important to, to chat through things because I think there's obviously in the past, the insurance world hasn't necessarily been um, always the most accommodating or sort of like having the best processes in place in terms of supporting people that are transgender. Um, and so it just felt like it was a, it was a good time to, to put a podcast out. So just having a look at a few different things in the background, because I think as well, as well as sort of like how to maybe approach these conversations as, as an insurance, um, as an insurer, you've also got advisors and what to do because you can get a bit paranoid as advisors because it's a case of, well, I can't really assume that somebody is male or female, even though, you know, you may start to think, I know that they're male and female, but I don't, you know, and obviously it's a case of, well, you can't ever make that assumption. And then you kind of think, well, where do I ask it? Do I ask everybody? Do you identify male or female? And, um, you know, kind of what pronouns you use. So I just wanted to give like a little bit of a background on some of the things to be aware of. So first things first, um, Stonewall um, is an organization in the UK, and they do say that there's roughly 600,000 people that are transgender or non-binary um, living within the UK. So we're not talking a small amount of people here. We're talking about a lot of people that, you know, it's quite easy to think that obviously insurers and advisors are going to come across um, somebody in this situation at some, at some point. So I think one of the first things that I find really helpful is always trying to maybe understand the terminology at first just to so I feel comfortable that I'm hopefully not going to say anything wrong um, or if I do say something that's not completely um, sort of right that I can at least sort of say oh you know obviously I'm really sorry and um, that's my misunderstanding um, and, and try and move forward that way. I think that's a very important point uh, Catherine I, th I think asking those types of questions um, shows that you you know your clients and, uh, and and will give them confidence in your ability to to talk sensibly. I think I think I think that's very important to give the client confidence. It's absolutely, and I think you know it's again with advice. I think sometimes advisors get a little bit scared because yeah. it's that thing of what happens if I get it wrong? What happens if I've assumed that the female, if, if somebody has said that they're married and I'm speaking to a man, and then I've assumed that the partner is a woman. And, you know, or maybe it's, and this goes a little bit away from the transgender side no, of things, but, you know, as people understanding as well, you know, they may say automatically, there may be somebody who has transitioned to female, so it can be a, a husband and wife, but maybe from their understanding of the insurance world, they may think, well, actually, the, the wife was born male, uh, it was assigned uh, male identity at birth, um, so they need to see male on the forms instead of female. It's, it's a very, very confusing situation for everyone. I think it's fair to say that the advisor is going to be confused and the person who's coming to you is confused because they probably don't know exactly how these forms are going to be needed filled out. So I think hopefully we're going to sorry, debunk some of those things today. Yeah, great. So in terms of trans transgender, so that is a term that is used for someone that does not identify with their assigned gender at birth. And I think sometimes people get unsure as to whether or not to, to use the term transgender or transsexual. So transsexual is um, a term that was more used back in the day or sort of like a bit of an older term. Um, a lot of people prefer to use the word transgender now instead of transsexual. That's not everybody just saying that in general, people tend to prefer the word transgender because transsexual was more seen as if it was like a medical thing that was happening 
rather than it just being that this is someone and this is who they are. Um, pronouns are something that I think a lot of people get quite confused by. So especially on social media, you see quite a thing of people putting on that they may be she or she slash her or he slash him or they slash them. And there's quite a few other ones as well. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that um, that most people don't expect everybody to understand every single pronoun or version of sort of like the classification of a transgender or, or non-binary way that somebody would classify themselves because there are many, many versions. And um, one of the things that I have done in the past and just in case anybody would find this interesting is that I found a website called LGBT Hero. And um, essentially I went on Google and um, I did... Uh, you know, sort of like one of those you know, standard kind of searches saying like, what do pronouns mean or something like that? How can I support people when they are using pronouns? And this website came up and I found it really useful because it gave really short, succinct descriptions. It also gives you a list of all the different classifications of, that people might um, put to themselves. And I think that's really useful because there was far more in there than I've heard more than what I've just said here, but there was more on there written down for me to read than I was actually had ever heard of. And there's even some on there as well. I have to say pronouns. I was, I'm not completely sure how I would pronounce some of them because some of them, I think it's like um, one of them is is the word XE and with an extra one, uh, extra sort of like version to it as well. And I'm not sure how to pronounce that. So it may well be that somebody says something to you about their gender and you're not completely sure of how they want to be um uh, spoken to so it could just be quite you know a good idea to just say to somebody be, be honest and just say you know thank you um, that's incredibly helpful for me to know and I will use um, the, you know these pronouns for you do you mind me just asking just make sure I'm going to be pronouncing it correctly um, and if you're really not sure sometimes I think if you've written something down or if you've seen it in writing it can make it sometimes it stick in your head a bit more so you can always I would say just ask them to say so how would I write that pronoun down if you know if for some reason we are making notes and I can make sure that I write it down the right way for you and I think the majority of people are quite understanding about the fact that if they are coming with um, a pronoun or a gender that you would maybe not be familiar with um, that it's something that they probably experience quite a lot of places it's probably not a shock to them that you don't necessarily have that in the forefront of your mind but it's your approach to how you accommodate and speak to that person afterwards that'll be in a sense what gives them the feeling that you're really supporting them yeah 100% agree with that Catherine very very important indeed I believe yeah so as I was saying you know when it comes to things like the um these like the gender the assumption I say because one of the things I do with the training um with my advisors is you know I'll um when I'm doing like the role play training with them and that which obviously as I'm sure everybody can imagine everybody loves the role play training training that I do and they're doing it there's times where I'll be saying to them right there's this person and they'll know so I'll start it off by saying right you've got this man and you know he is he's married da, 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 da. so my, my advisors are trained to go right so straight away they're figuring out okay so they're speaking to me you know they, they, they know automatically that I'm a man I'm married but they're sorry speaking to me I'm just to check you're married da, da, da. and um but they are trained to then be very much very careful with the wording to then say and does your partner have cover so that we're not going into oh so this is a man he's married right there's a wife you know because I think there is still that probably yeah. that stereotypical assumption that people do yeah. kind of in their mind have man woman woman and Absolutely. you know obviously 
that may be what a lot of people have come across. But if you just, it's a little thing of just being really conscious in your own mind to say partner rather than assigning a gender to the other person. And then that's really important for people who are transgender, but also people who are in, in relationships where obviously you maybe have two men in a marriage or two women in a marriage just to make sure that you can then, as you're chatting, you know, they will then refer to the partner's name and, you know, so you can then start to really figure out and they'll maybe use, uh, say, the pronouns and things or, you know, and uh, and sort of like say, you know, sort of like, oh, well, she's doing this at the moment. So unfortunately, she can't be on the phone with us as we're speaking. So straight away, you know, okay, right. So it is a gender identification of female. And it does feel a little bit unusual at first, I have to say, but it doesn't, as with anything, it's learned experience. So once you've done yeah. it a few times, it becomes much, much more normal when you're yeah. saying it that way. And so hopefully that helps some people. A little tidbit for people to take away. What's interesting for me as an underwriter, Catherine, and it's, it's very, it's, it's valuable to hear that. So thank you from an underwriter. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad to hear. Um, so I think, sorry, going back to sorry, some of the things that we've just been sorry, saying as well, um, I think because obviously, as I said, you know, some people just don't know what they're going to expect when they come for insurances. And I think that's the same for, for a lot of people if, if they've got any kind of situation where they think it might have an influence on the insurance. And I do think that for people who are transgender, there is that kind of you know, for, for some people, I think there is sort of like a case of, well, what am I going to need to do? What gender am I going to need to put on these forms? What are they going to put it down as? Is it, you know, is it going to go down a certain way in the form? What kind of a terms am I going to be looking at? So I think a really good idea is to talk about the fact that things today are far, far better than they used to be. As with most situations and hopefully most kinds of organizations and sectors, things are better than they were not saying they're perfect but a lot better than they were so I think a good starting point would be because some people are going to have heard probably some horror stories some years gone past Matt but uh, maybe talking about you know many many years ago what would it have happened what would it be the case if somebody had come many years ago to the insurance world and said right you know I'm here, I'm transgender, and I want insurance what kind of I suppose you know kind of what questions would have been asked maybe and what kind of terms would have been maybe considered okay well, well thanks for that um that difficult question Catherine um certainly I'd probably stay away from transgender just for a minute but certainly in the um the the height of the HIV scare and it was a very real scare for very obvious reasons um certainly the insurers used to ask very very personal questions um of men in particular um, it did go down to if you were a single man which again is quite silly now mm -hmm. we think about it um, and if you were a single man they would ask questions of a very very personal nature um, not I think not only around maybe the number of partners you've had but um, what type of sex you actually engaged in which frankly um, now uh, in the year 2021 um, and the way that the world and the insurance industry has moved on a, 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 a horrific questions to go around asking people to be perfectly honest with you. Um, it feels strange that you know I mean I, I, I find it absolutely horrific looking back on it I do sorry Catherine I did interrupt you. No 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 it's kind of you know there is a part of me and a very small part of me now which would say well was it an overreaction um it certainly seems like it now but if you're if you are trying to 
protect a very large portfolio of business um, from a risk which was totally unknown, really, of what the end game would be, um, then I'm afraid the only option would be to say, the only end game option would be you don't touch anybody who is a single male, as an example. Yeah. And therefore, the underwriters, in a way, at that particular time, were trying to give cover. At least they were trying to give cover. The approach, so, that, so the goal, I think, should be applauded. Hmm. The way that we actually tried to get to that goal is, is certainly now, and I believe it then it's totally, was totally unacceptable. So life has moved on, I think. Um, certainly uh, the timing, I, I wasn't quite sure of the timing when all these things kind of disappeared from the insurance industry. But I think you and I agree it's around at least around 15 years ago. Uh, yeah. 2005, I think we, we, we talked about. Um, and I don't have not seen anything like that since. But it's, it's overall, um, underwriters, I think, certainly of my age, who, who, who lived through that type of um, uh, underwriting process, um, will look back on that as um, a lesson learned. Yeah. And do we hang our heads in shame? Indeed, do we hang our heads in shame? Well, possibly. But on the other hand, what else could we have done apart from decline an awful lot of people? and just would not give them insurance whatsoever, which I don't think is good for anybody, uh, good for the market or anything. So, yeah, we, we've, I, I genuinely believe that we've learned from that. I mean, legislation has, has um, come on board now, uh, thick and fast since, since those times, which um, only allows justifiable discrimination. And that's one definitely for, a, uh, for another day to dis discuss what justifiable discrimination actually means. But certainly we've gone a long, long way from this type of uh, that, that type of uh, intrusive questioning. So, yeah, I, all I would say is I think lesson learned on that um, and thank God as well. So, yes, would you would you see that in your own um, the cases that you see in the conversations? That yeah. You see, Catherine? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So I think I say I think Alan joined the industry around 2005 and I joined it in 2010. And I remember. I'm sure I remember Alan saying that it was still in the application forms when he'd at least he'd started. I have a vague recollection of it being possibly even around the time that I joined, but I don't know if that was more a case of that I'd looked at a, I was looking at an older case and um, and looking at the application form and going, what on earth are they asking here kind of thing? Yeah, because yeah. I understand what you're saying, you know, because ultimately insurers are businesses, they have, they offer risk, you know, they, they assume certain risks, but they have to maintain certain financial capitals. If there's suddenly a risk that they don't have a lot of data on, very similar to COVID, um, yeah. then, you know, there is going to be kind, quite a knee-jerk reaction. They're not going to be really sure what to do. And possibly, as you say, the question set might, might in a sense, go overboard. You know, it doesn't negate how people would have felt at that time, obviously going for insurance. Um, but, you know, it's, it's, it's sort of like that thing, if it's not a it's not justified the way that the approach was done, but it's, you can kind of understand. I'm not saying that's okay for anybody listening. I'm not saying it's okay, but you can understand why the insurers were doing such a quick reaction because it was something new that they weren't aware, you know, massively aware of. They didn't have that long data. And at the time, obviously, because there was this, um, this fear of HIV and obviously there wasn't the same medications and treatments as there are now. Absolutely. Obviously, HIV was 
is certain was certainly not what it is today. And I think, you know, there is that um, there's that fine balance between I, I don't think we should just, you know, bash insurers and underwriters and actuaries for the decisions that are made. It's it is that thing, though, of the learning experience. So obviously, Absolutely. as the data has become available and as things are progressing, you know, obviously, we're now at a point where we're seeing, you know, really sometimes you know, really incredible terms for people that are living with HIV. So I think that's a good example of how things have moved on for, for some way. But obviously, we're not saying in the, in the slightest that people who are transgender are um, men who potentially, you know, have HIV. Um, but I think it's, um, it's, it's important to sort of just say that that's potentially a situation that somebody might have experienced in the background. Uh, sorry, in the background. Uh, sorry, some time ago. Um, but now... It's, it couldn't be further from that, I, I don't think. There's some, there's some things we're going to be chatting about again where we're going to be saying, well, we're not sure how we can necessarily fix this side of things um, as we're chatting a bit more. But um, mm. but there, there used to be a thing as well, and I know this wasn't too long ago as well, and I think this was just – I think this has started to dwindle off since the um, – gender pricing um that became standardized so for anybody who's quite new to the industry um i can't remember the exact year i'm thinking 2016 but maybe i'm wrong um there was a specific uh, legislation that came out that basically said that you couldn't price differently for men or women in insurance everybody had to have the same pricing time flies catherine time flies 2012 2012 oh wow yeah. yes <laughs> absolutely <laughs> something happened in 2016 i don't know what but something no, 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 no worries at all it's it's just it's, isn't it amazing though how we remember these things and think Absolutely. it was like yesterday when in fact it was years and years ago it's almost a decade you know? ago that's, that's I know. Absolutely, oh wow that's slightly isn't it that's a Either huge way. amount that means that actually so yeah that means i've just had my uh, 10-year anniversary in the industry oh, a couple well, of weeks ago what can i say congratulations thank yeah. you <laughs> you so, well on it too it has to be said <laughs> so no great big bags under the eyes or anything else or, oh you know. it's the lighting is the zoom it's, it's oh, the touch up filter no sorry i'm not using touch <laughs> <laughs> i need to um the um, so yeah so anybody's listening so basically yeah so they used to do it where for say life insurance men used to be charged a higher amount because the the likelihood of a man um dying at a younger age than a woman was higher and then in kind of reverse women used to be charged higher for income protection because the likelihood of a woman um taking um, being unable to work due to health was higher than a man so they all kind of became equalized and nobody was allowed to do anything like that and i think probably since so actually will be it's still about since that happened then in 2012 but probably in the last few years or so they've stopped asking for certain things so they used to ask quite a lot for gender reassignment certificates i believe um with quite a few yeah. insurers to be able to actually because i think this is probably one of the main questions is like right if i'm transgender and i was assigned a male gender at birth but i'm now a woman what do i put down on these forms do i put down male or female now what it used to be is that unless you had a gender reassignment certificate you had to go down as the um, gender that you were assigned with at birth but that's no longer the case now Matt is it no 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 um on, in terms of a proposal for we would put down the gender that you, that you are legally attributed to you so if you've been transitioned to a woman you put down a woman yeah you put female um, it's, it's really as, as, as simple as that. So the, the, no, no issues there, I don't think. Absolutely. Important to raise, mind you, because I think it's important people who don't um, necessarily come across this type of thing, uh, particularly with the insurance, then um, it, it, it's, I think it, it's certainly well worth knowing. 
Absolutely. And um, and to know as well, just, you know, that sometimes these things used to be asked for, and, you know, those certificates may not be asked for now. So just, you no. know, it may not be that we see people who are transgender regularly when we work. So it's, it's that thing of sorry, like, if it's been a while, just make sure that, you know, as with anything, make sure, you know, the latest um, sort of like rules and requirements and things like that. But generally, um, yeah, as we're chatting more, it'd be a good to, to obviously be able to get across that really actually being transgender is going to have very, very little impact upon the insurances, if at all. But um, as yeah, just sort of like chatted a little bit then, I mentioned about how, you know, obviously potentially putting on these forms, men and women, uh, sort of if you're male or female. Now, I imagine that presents quite a difficulty for quite a few people now, obviously, especially the people in the non-binary space, because we don't have a non-binary option. And I've been sort of like thinking, I've been trying to figure out why we don't have a non-binary option. Now, I do know that when, well, I, I say I do know, I believe from my understanding um, that yeah. to make changes to the forms, to, for insurers to make changes to their insurance application forms isn't the quickest of things and that it maybe takes a while because it's not just changing the form, it's changing all the systems in terms of the recording and the databases and the different areas and, and obviously where they um, sort of like promote out. If they don't then also have a third section for offering a non-binary option, then that in itself could then, you know, there's so many different technicalities that would need to happen. It really needs to be, I think, quite an, an industry effort um, to be able to do that. But um, I totally agree with you on that. It has to be across the industry to do that, led, led by somebody like the ABI or, or, or similar. Absolutely. Um, and you're absolutely right. Um, having, having lived in that uh, insurer world, uh, it is a big job, even to particularly these days with the way that systems are tied up with underwriting systems, so yes. back office systems with underwriting systems. Um, it, it is quite a big job, and with the the push for new business, um, I'm afraid that box, if you like, is likely to come down the tree in terms of pecking order. Yeah, and priority is so probably in, not. In terms, absolutely. So. You're absolutely right. It's it's a big change, and you'd think it was very very simple, but it's not. I think another thing that stands out for me so that so that's one scenario, obviously, as yeah. to why is the time and the uh, so the resources that would need to be done. It's not just the a priority, quick, you know, change the paper yeah. form. It is huge technological changes. It's not just within the insurers; it's within um, platforms that um, kind of have a sort of like the centralized application form that then kind of the, the price comparison site type situation you know it's getting all of those areas as well and then will be some advisor firms who possibly have options where the forms are done on their website so it's, it's, there's so many areas that it would need to to be done through it's not it's not a small task not saying that it's not important it's incredibly important but it's not something that's a small it's not a small activity for, for no. shows to be doing but no. I think the other thing for me that stands out is how it could potentially influence things, especially within, I imagine, like the critical illness and income protection space in terms of underwriting, because, um, and obviously decisions that are made, because obviously if somebody, you know, in some situations, to so say like if somebody is female and they are going for a critical illness cover and they happen to have maybe had their mum had had um, breast cancer at a young age, that could potentially influence the decision on the policy depending upon the insurer depending upon the really specific data I'm not saying this is going to happen to everybody but it could well be that there could be a breast cancer exclusion on the critical illness contract for that person because of the family history now 
I don't believe that you would necessarily get that same if that person was a male and had a female, had a mother who had had cancer. I don't think there wouldn't be a breast cancer exclusion. I don't believe you could correct me right if I'm wrong, but I don't believe there would be. Um, so then it's kind of that thing of, well, hang on, are we actually being in some ways, are we actually being fair at all? Because then that would mean that someone who is female and transitioned to male would actually have better terms for cover than someone who has remained female with the same family medical history. And, and you know, obviously there is a difference in the person who's transitioned to male is probably obviously taking testosterone and very different. But then you have the other argument of, well, if someone was male and transitioned to female, they're possibly taking quite a lot of um, female hormones. So would that actually in the end kind of increase and the risk based upon the family medical history as well. I know that's kind of like a lot of ifs and everything that I've just said in all in one go, Matt, and I hope that everyone that's listening has been able to follow it. But it does kind of feel like it doesn't necessarily marry up at the moment. Yeah, I, I think there are there are two um, very interesting points there. I, I think that the um, Euro European Gender Discrimination um, Act was, it came in in 2012 um, it, it never ultimately thought, well, let me put it this way, a, a lot of countries within the European Union possibly didn't think through the complications of situations like you've just described. Mm. Um, it, was, it was supposedly a, a very simple, well, men should pay the same amount of premiums as women, end of. And, but when you've got all of these um, uh, side issues, very important, but nevertheless mm. side issues, then it becomes very, very complicated indeed. And it's a classic case for me of, of unintended consequences. Yeah. Absolute classic case of that. So, yes, that you, you're going to get situations like that um, where it is where it is pretty difficult. Um, I mean, it's an interesting one. I mean, if you're looking at females who transition to males, um, and as, as you just said, high doses of testosterone is a standard form of, of cross-sex hormone treatment. Uh, and the side effects, no surprise, including a gain in body mass, increases in blood pressure and cholesterol. And other side effects can also include osteoporosis, increased emotional ability, elevate, elevated liver enzymes. And also, importantly, I think we may have touched on this, um, maybe from the outside, though, uh, and the development of hormone related tumours although the, um, the, the latter is uh, pretty rare at the moment. So it's a bit of a watching brief in terms of the insurance industry. Now, the other way around, so male to female, um, as you again have said, treatment is usually with high de doses of estrogen. Uh, there's an increase in visceral fat, um, but despite the fact of levels uh, of, the levels of HDL have increased, the overall cardiovascular profile. So if you think of men, tend to die of heart attacks, or sorry, cardiovascular disease more than women, certainly at certain ages. Um, the overall cardiovascular risk profile from of male to female transsexuals uh, reduces the implementation uh, with the implementation of cross-sex hormone treatment. So I don't think anything I've just said there um, would it be a surprise when you're using male hormones or female hormones. Those are the types of things you would expect in the, the, the a male or a female. Um, but nevertheless, I think one of the important points you've just said um, that, uh, and highlighted, but I'll also reinforce it, that if you are transgender and the key areas of underwriting that's, uh, that would be looked at are not that you are transgender 
whatsoever. And if you're transgender and free of any uh, medical disorder, then you will get standard rates. Uh, I can't say everybody, because I don't have sight of the whole uh, of the UK industry, but you will generally get standard rates for life, kick, sorry, critical illness, and also income protection. Now, the underwriters will um, certainly look at um, psychological issues, um, and uh, they will obviously look at um, depression, anxiety, a history of, or that continuing after a transgender operation. And obviously they also look at um, associated uh, lifestyle issues that sometimes go along with, with mental health issues, such as uh, alcohol abuse and drug abuse as well. In terms of an operation, um, if you are looking to have the operation, then yes, life cover will be generally postponed in line with any operation of a similar risk. Okay, so it's not a special transitional uh, uh, gender reassignment loading or risk or postponement. It's the same with anybody else who is having a, an operation of a similar medical risk, a surgical risk, of which there are for some operations, we have to face that. Um, in terms, uh, and, and what an uh, underwriters will generally want there is just um, a sign off from the treating surgeon that everything has gone well and there are no complications um, and you go your merry way with standard rates, normal terms. Um, the, again, the, the psychological issues are treated the same as any other person who has anxiety, depression or suicidal, God forbid, suicidal thoughts or anything like that. They will be treated exactly the same as anybody else. So the fact that you are transgender does not make a difference in the context of risk. Yeah, I think it's quite interesting that one. I'm really glad you brought that up because um, I think one of the big things that can sometimes be um, seen as sort of like a little bit, not, not nothing that you've said, but you know, just generally, I think something seen as offensive to people that are transgender is that somebody saying that it's to do with mental health because you know it isn't mental health. And I think, but there is a really difficult distinction when you're doing these forms you know especially as an advisor for anybody who's involved because um to say like a little while ago we were helping somebody to get insurance and they were somebody who was transgender that transitioned that had the surgery and everything and um we were going through the application form and obviously being transgender isn't a mental health condition however this person was really insistent that we put it down as a mental health condition and we were trying to be obviously being really supportive saying look it, it isn't classed as a mental health condition in the insurance world you know yes we will put down that you've had an operation because timing wise it was a case of you know yes we're going to put down you've had an operation but it doesn't need to go down as a mental health group but they, they were very much of the opinion that for themselves that it was a mental health condition for themselves and that was kind of part of the whole thing for them which was which was quite unusual because obviously I think when you do do training in this you are trained to think of it not as mental health conditions so for somebody to say it really is it it felt quite strange actually to complete the form in that way um but I think it's really important just that people are you know especially advisors they're aware of that they may face that but on the other side of that the difficulty is as well is that a lot of people who will have been through um surgery especially if it's been performed in the UK will have seen a psychiatrist so it will go into the mental health question sets. There's, there's no 
way of us avoiding that because it'll be in the and obviously we've always got our list of questions as we you know have you ever had you know have you in the last five years have you in the last three years have you in the last three months kind of situation when it comes to these questions so in the have you ever had the psychiatrist question is probably going to be there so you're going to straight away answer that at which point you're going to need to say why at which point you're going to have to put down transgender as the reason why and probably go through all the usual mental health question set and I think as um as an advisor, what we would need to, what I suggest people do if they are facing that situation, um, it's something that I do with a number of times with different things that I see that come up in these um, question sets is I apologize on behalf of our industry and just say, look, I'm really sorry, but this is the way that the insurer's application forms are set up. So as soon as we know that there's a psychiatrist involved, there's an automatic assumption there's a mental health condition. And so we need to ask all these questions. And as soon as we say there's a mental health condition, I have to ask you all of these. It doesn't matter in a sense, even if it's, even if it was just mild anxiety that you've had, I'm going to need to ask all of these quite potentially intrusive mental health questions to be able to, to get the insurances for you. Um, I don't really think that there's a way for us to get around that. Um, I, I think, first of all, you are right that if the proposal form question does actually ask about have you ever seen a psychiatrist, then I would certainly encourage people to say yes, but give it give an explanation to why um, this was part of the gender uh, sorry uh, gender reassignment process. End of. Now I think you will find you should find with good underwriters that they would actually see that as a positive, not a negative. Um, as part of that, that's the, that the individual concern is actually looking after their mental health um, and, and fully discussing how they feel. I would just reiterate the fact that uh, it would be seen as a positive to an underwriter. A, a positive answer to a question doesn't count against the individual um, whatsoever, the client whatsoever. Um, it is an underwriter trying to understand the risk if any that they are they are actually facing so I think the person who looks after their mental health um, it's a it's a very very good sign and I would certainly endorse 100% that um, the underwriting fraternity do not think that transgender is a mental health issue yeah. it, it is a fact sadly that, that a number of people um, who do uh, enter the, tra- the, the kind of uh, gender dysphoria um, and then decide to transition over do have anxiety and do suffer then that may uh, move into depression and so on and so forth um and that's 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 a very sad thing but also perhaps to be expected with such a huge uh, change in their life um, and as i say underwriters are aware of that and the actual condition of anxiety or depression or whatever um, is treated exactly the same as anybody else just because, just an in inverted commas, that it is a transgender, it does not make a difference. And as I say, positive, I've seen a psychiatrist because of the gender transition um, is, is, is a positive. It's certainly not a negative. Absolutely. Thank you. Well, I've got a case study to just quickly go through. We're coming towards the end of the, uh, the episode now. So um, it is an example of somebody who is transgender that needed some insurance. So um, we spoke to uh, a couple and it was a male and female life. Um, the male had been a female many years ago and had transitioned um, to being male. And they were in their mid-30s to early 40s. 
so what they needed was some cover for their mortgage. So we did them some joint uh, decreasing life insurance of around 312,000 over 22 years. And the premium was just under £35 a month. And what's to be clear on that as well is that that was what's classed as normal terms. So normal terms is that the premiums haven't been affected at all by the disclosure. So that would include obviously having had the surgery and seen psychiatrist as well. And also for the male life, um, you know, he needed some income protection. So it was about £3,000 per month. We had a 13-week deferred period to age 60 with a full claim length. And that was around about £83 per month at a, a guaranteed premium. What's important about that one as well is that there was an exclusion on the income protection, just to be very, very clear and transparent. But that was because, well, he had had a shoulder injury a couple of years beforehand, I think it was. Um, so like some kind of sporting shoulder injury. And so he ended up with a shoulder exclusion on the policy which um so again nothing at all to do with being transgender but as with many people or i would say a significantly majority of people if they've had something in terms of a shoulder injury and they're wanting income protection most places are going to be seeing an exclusion on there at least for a certain time period it's potential sometimes that you can ask it to be a reviewable exclusion um depends upon the insurer depends upon I think maybe how sunny it is on that day as to whether or not they want to to uh, to do it or not. Um, but uh, but yeah, that's sometimes obviously that's just a good example of uh, of what we can see where as I say you've got life insurance, they've got income protection, and um, really in terms of the actual as I say the transgender side of things, there's been no influence whatsoever upon the on the cover. So we are at the end of the podcast. It's been really, really lovely to uh, chat to you again, Matt. It's, um, it's always great to get your insights. Well, thank you, Catherine. Thank you for inviting me as, uh, as always. Um, a fascinating topic. And I think, I, I hope that we've put um, uh, those clients, those people out there who, um, who have transitioned or thinking about transitioning, um, built up their knowledge and, and they feel confident in applying uh, for insurance because they should do. Absolutely. We are, we are not the ogres we were perhaps once seen as. Um, you know, we've, we've matured um, and uh, we, we look forward to receiving the business. Absolutely. I think you're completely right. I think, you know, as long as we say to people as well, just, you know, depending upon the situation, you know, sometimes be patient, you know, obviously the insurance world is doing incredibly well. Advisors are doing incredibly well. Lots and lots of departments are in terms of trying to be much more aware, much more understanding. You know, if, um, if somebody isn't being, um, isn't necessarily using your preferred pronouns at first, maybe, you know, just, you know, obviously just make them aware of how you prefer to be addressed. Um, and obviously um, possibly have a bit of patience, obviously at the same point if someone's just being downright rude and ignoring you then absolutely don't be happy and you know <laughs> tell them that you're not happy um but you know it's, it's one of those things that you know we're all we're all growing we're all learning and um and I think sometimes unless you've actually experienced speaking to somebody living in this situation it can be quite hard you know we can know about these things but actually living it and experiencing it and and knowing how to actually speak to somebody in the situation can sometimes be um can be a it, it just be something people aren't used to and we're, we are creatures of habit we're creatures of learning and um, it's certainly something that I do as well really within our industry really really hope that people do take the time to just sort of maybe do a little bit more in terms of looking up these um, different things these different pronouns the the different types of classifications when it comes to gender and um and as some people are possibly quite, and I think some people are possibly still quite guarded and they're probably still very much, well, there's men, there's female, 
I can maybe see non, non-binary, but I'm not having 20 versions of non-binary. And I think it's important to sort of like say that it's, it's really not, it doesn't affect you to be more aware of it, but it would really affect the person that you are speaking to. So it's just, it's really important to just maybe even just give it a once over, just a, a quick look over things and, uh, and just make yourself a bit more aware. I'm going to be back in a couple of weeks' time with Roy McLaughlin and Joe Elphick from LNG. We're going to be discussing group insurances and, again, some stuff about gender as well. If you'd like a reminder of the next episode, please drop me a message on social media or visit the website practical-protection.co.uk. And as always, don't forget that if you've listened to this as part of your work, you can pop on over to the website and claim a CPD certificate too, thanks to our sponsors, Octo members. So thank you very much for your time today, Matt. My pleasure. Look forward to speaking to you again. Look forward to speaking to you too. Bye. Bye.